This evening we're going to consider Jacob's return to Bethel. We're looking at Genesis chapter 35. In our last visit to the book of Genesis, we saw that two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, had slain all the males in the city of Shechem because Shechem, the son of Hamor, had defiled their sister Dina. Genesis chapter 34 ended with Jacob telling his murderously vengeful sons that that they had made him loathsome among the Canaanites and that they had endangered his life and the lives of his household. This evening in chapter 35, the next chapter, we shall follow Jacob and his household on their journey from Shechem back to Bethel where the Lord had appeared to Jacob in a dream about 30 years earlier when he fled from his brother Esau. On that occasion the Lord had promised to be with Jacob and Jacob had built an altar unto the Lord. That was about 30 years um, prior to what we're going to consider this evening. First of all this evening we can consider Jacob's obedience. When the Lord said to Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel, we see that in the very first verse of chapter 35 there, God said unto Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. So when the Lord said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, Jacob was obedient to the Lord's command, despite his concerns that the Canaanites might gather together against him and his family and slay his household. Jacob demonstrated his unwavering confidence in the Lord's protection, despite his concerns about the Canaanites seeking revenge for the uh, the Shechemites being slain. And he, he displayed his confidence in the Lord by declaring to his house that he would again make an altar unto the God in Bethel. There, there in verse 3, Let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make there an altar unto God who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way which I went. Clearly that his his confidence in the Lord was steadfast. Notice also that even though Jacob was trusting in the Lord, he did not presume upon the Lord's grace. In other words, he did not take God's grace for granted. We see that in verse 2 there. Then Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him, put away the strange gods that are among you and be clean and change your garments. So he told his household to put away their idols, which perhaps were the possessions of his Canaanite servants and perhaps the women that he'd taken captive in Shechem 
after their husbands had been slain by Simeon and Levi, and perhaps even the idol of his wife Rachel, who had stolen her father Laban's uh, idols before they departed from Haran, about six years earlier. Also, Jacob's household were told to clean themselves and change their garments, which is emblematic or symbolic of being sanctified through the sacrificial offering of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, being purified by his precious soul-cleansing blood, being clothed in garments of salvation, being dawned in a robe of righteousness, Only then can anyone enter into heaven and they do so by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he has consecrated for us through the veil which is his body. By way of application, back in chapter 32 and verse 11, Jacob prayed to the Lord for deliverance from the hand of his brother Esau And it was pointed out at the time that even though he prayed, he still took responsibility as a husband and a father for the protection of his household. If only to minimise the number of casualties should his brother Esau and Esau's 400 men launch an attack on him and on his household. This is even though the Lord had promised to be with him. He still did that which was reasonably uh, required of him as a husband and a father. The lesson then was that prayer ought not to be a license to do nothing. We don't just sit back because we've committed everything to God in prayer. Like Jacob, you are to continue to do whatever needs to be done, having committed everything to God in prayer, and then you proceed carefully and you proceed prayerfully. So that was our uh, one of the applications I made back in chapter 32. But now in chapter 35, the lesson to be learned from Jacob telling his house to get rid of their idols, despite his confidence in the Lord, to be with them, is that even though you, dear Christian, have a saviour who has said, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world, you are nevertheless to put away your idols, to get rid of the idols that you have. You are to keep yourself from anything that usurps the place of God in your desires and in your life. Idolatry not only refers to placing the things of this world above the Lord in your affections. But more subtly, when you follow the, the the doctrines of false teachers, we've been hearing a lot about false teachers in Andy's series in um, John's epistles. And when you when you put your trust in these false teachers and you and you imbibe their false doctrine What do you end up with? You do not end up with a Jesus who is the Jesus of the Bible and you end up with an idol. So we have to be careful and idolatry can be very broad and it's not just the things that we hold dear to us, the the earthly chattels that we amass, 
the earthly treasures that we amass, it's also false doctrine. We need to keep ourselves free from false doctrine and false teachers. To that end, continue to pray for me in my ministry. Secondly, the Lord's protective care of Jacob and all his house. Look at verse 5. And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them, and they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. As it turned out, Jacob had a peaceful journey from Shechem to Bethel. The terror of the Lord came upon the Canaanite city, so much so that they didn't pursue Jacob. And they didn't pursue him and his family, seeking revenge for the slaughter of the the males in Shechem. Verse 5 ought to give you some idea of just how much the Lord is with his people and just how much the Lord protects his people, even to the extent of taking measures to prevent attacks from ever happening in the first place and from harm ever coming their way. As such, God surrounds his people with protective care. We see this to be the case in Zechariah chapter 2 and verse 5, where it is written, For I, saith the Lord, will be unto her, that is Jerusalem, a wall of fire round about, and will be the glory in the midst of her. Can you imagine that? The Lord being a wall of fire round about you. And when the Lord delivered the children of Israel from their afflictions in Egypt, they were surrounded by his protective care as they passed through the Red Sea, which can be thought of as a wall of fire. Although it was water, it can be thought of as a wall of fire in that not only did it provide a barrier between Israel and Pharaoh's army, but also it consumed the Egyptians. Having said all that, it may nevertheless please the Lord for you who are dearly loved by him, you who are trusting in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as your saviour, you who are loved with an everlasting love that was manifest on that centre cross. It may please the Lord for you to suffer the most terrible persecution for Christ's sake and then for God to deliver you unscathed as he did with those three godly men in the book of Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, also known as Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. They were cast into a fiery furnace for their refusal to bow down and worship a golden idol that the king of Babylon had set up. However, God was with those three men in the fiery furnace and... God delivered them from that fiery furnace completely unharmed. So they went through the trial, but they were delivered unscathed. Then again, it may please the Lord for you to die a most terrible death for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel, such as was the case when Stephen was stoned to death by an angry Jewish mob that he preached to in Acts chapter 7. 
just before Stephen's martyrdom, he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. So often we read of Jesus seated on the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus seated on the right hand of the majesty on high. And yet when Stephen was being stoned to death, he saw Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Clearly the Lord could have stopped those men, that mob, from stoning Stephen. He could have done so easily. But he chose not to. It was God's will for Stephen to die the death of a martyr. And to God be the glory. In Psalm chapter 20, Psalm 23 verse 4, David said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. I don't know if Stephen ever thought of those words when he was being stoned to death and when he looked up and saw the heavens open and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. I don't know what was going through his mind, but those words certainly did apply to him, didn't they? I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, even in death. God works all things for good to them that love him, to them who are called according to his purpose. The things that God works together for the good of his people may be pleasant. But then again, they might be extremely unpleasant. It all depends on God's purpose. First and foremost, God, his concern is for his glory. When you consider the incarnate Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who endured such contradiction of sinners against himself when he was nailed to a cross and wounded for the transgressions of all he came to save, his experience of drinking that cup of sin and taking upon himself the curse of a broken law must have been unpleasant in a way that we will never be able to fathom. Yet it all happened in accordance with the predetermined counsel and foreknowledge of God. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. (coughs) Thirdly, Jacob built an altar in Bethel. Look at verses 6 through to 8. So Jacob came to Luz or Luz, which is in the land of Canaan, that is Bethel, he and all the people that were with him. And he built there an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God appeared unto him when he fled from the face of his brother. But Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried beneath Bethel under an oak, and the name of it was called Alon Bakuth. 
When Jacob arrived in Bethel, he built an altar in compliance with the Lord's instructions in verse 1. He called the place El Bethel, meaning the God of Bethel. I like the Bible commentator Matthew Henry's application. Henry said, The comfort that the saints have in holy ordinances is not so much from Bethel, the house of God, as from El Bethel, the God of the house of God. In other words, the Christian ordinances, namely baptism, the Lord's Supper, they are but empty things if we do not meet with God in them. In the same way that it was not Bethel that comforted Jacob, it was the God of Bethel who met him there and who comforted him with the promise of being with him. And whether it's baptism or the Lord's Supper that we have here every week, I don't know about anyone else, but I look to God to be there and I, and I, and to have that time of that very precious time of communion with God. And, and I see it as a means of God imparting his grace to me. Before we move on, it can be seen that one of the people who was of Jacob's household and who, who arrived in Bethel was a, a woman by the name of Deborah. She was the nurse of Jacob's mother, Rebecca. Here in verse 8, we see that Deborah, who had no doubt nursed Jacob when he was just a little baby, died in Bethel and she was buried under an oak tree which was called Alon Bakut, which means the oak of weeping. Presumably the weeping was a reference to Jacob's tears for Deborah, who had somehow or other become part of Jacob's household, even though she was Rebecca's nurse, his mother's nurse, she was in Jacob's household and she was no doubt like a second mother to him and it was clearly a time of sorrow when she died. Therefore, Jacob's return to Bethel was a time of praising and worshipping the God of Bethel who had brought him and his family safe thus far but it was also a time of mourning the death of Deborah. And this is how it is for God's people. Even though you praise and you worship God, who surrounds you with loving kindness and tender mercies and that, that wall of fire, you are not exempt from the pain and sorrow of suffering loss and mourning the death of loved ones. Even so, your solace is in the God of your salvation. This is something that the rest of the world does not have. All the rest of the world has is its worthless idols, which can offer no real comfort. But you, dear Christian, have God, the God of your salvation. Fourthly, and last of all, we shall consider the death of Jacob's wife, Rachel, verses 16 through to 20. And they journeyed from Bethel, and there was but a little way to come to Ephra. And Rachel travailed and she had hard labour. And it came to pass when she was in hard labour 
that the midwife said unto her, Fear not, thou shalt have this son also. And it came to pass, as her soul was in departing, for she died, that she called his name Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. And Rachel died and was buried in the way to Ephrah, which is Bethlehem. And Jacob set a pillar upon her grave. That is the pillar of Rachel's grave unto this day. You may recall that when Jacob took refuge from his brother Esau in Haran, he worked for seven years for his uncle Laban in order to have Rachel as his wife. He fell in love with Rachel, her beauty, he wanted to marry her, but he had to work for Laban for seven years in order to have her as his wife. However, when that time was fulfilled, the seven years, Rachel's older sister, Leah, came to Jacob in the night. That was done by the instigation of their, the, 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 of her father, Laban. And Jacob, not knowing that it was Leah, he thought it was Rachel, he went in unto her. The result was that Jacob married Leah instead of Rachel, whom he loved. A week later, Jacob took Rachel to be his wife as well, but not before he agreed to work another seven years for Uncle Laban, who was now his father-in-law. Leah produced the first four of Jacob's sons, including Simeon and Levi, who rose to infamy in the last chapter when they slaughtered all the males in Shechem. When Rachel saw that Leah bare Jacob no children, sorry, when Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children and her sister Leah had, had, had already given Jacob children, she envied Leah and according to chapter 30 and verse 1 she said to him, give me children or else I die. Well, instead of dying, Rachel did end up giving birth she gave birth to her first son, Joseph. And when that happened, she said somewhat prophetically, the Lord shall add to me another son. Now with the birth of her second son, Benjamin, seven years or so later, her appointed time had indeed come to die in childbirth. Note that there was a separation of body and soul at the death of Rachel. We see that in verse 18. It came to pass as her soul was in departing for she died. So there was that that separation of body and soul when Rachel died. Although it had long been Rachel's desire to have another son, far from there being any joy when it finally happened, her experience was one of pain and sorrow. So much so that she called her son's name Benoni, which means the son of my sorrow. Jacob, however, called him Benjamin, which means the son of my right hand, suggesting that he would be especially near and dear to his father. The Bible speaks of just two people who never tasted death. Enoch who by faith was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God 
had translated him. Also there was Elijah who went up by a whirlwind into heaven. However, unlike Enoch and Elijah, you can expect to die. Just as Rachel died, just as Deborah died, just as everyone dies, apart from Elijah and uh, Enoch. Maybe in pain and sorrow, and maybe not. And when your time does come to die, your soul will part company with your body, as did Rachel's. As it is written in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 7, Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. Even the Lord Jesus Christ gave up the ghost when he sacrificially laid down his life at the cross. However, when it comes to Jesus, his body did not see corruption and on the third day he arose, still thinking of Benjamin, meaning the son of the right hand. The Lord Jesus Christ is now seated on the right hand of the throne of God, where he ever lives to make intercession for all who come to God by faith in Jesus. Dear Christian, you have a risen and highly exalted Saviour who is with you, and when your time comes to die, he will be with you in death, and his rod and staff, they will comfort you. And you needn't think I'm just talking about the older ones in here talking to all of us. As we come to a close, still on the subject of death, the Bible tells us very clearly that it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. There are no exceptions. Are you ready to die Are you ready to appear before the judgment seat of Christ, who was himself wounded and slain for sinners? Jesus, who laid down his life and died on the cross as he uh, he bare in his own body the sins of all who would ever trust in him. On the day that Jesus shall sit upon his seat of judgment, to all of you who have brought forth forth the fruit of repentance and live born again lives for his glory. Jesus will say, Come ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world and you shall go away to life eternal. However, to those of you who have never trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you've never brought forth fruit that is in keeping with repentance, Jesus shall say to you, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels, and you shall go away into everlasting punishment. Therefore, I say to you, repent and believe the gospel. Amen.